choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Hello and welcome to the podcast of the February edition of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. Hi Judith and good evening. We've got plenty still to look at in the sky for the forthcoming month. At this time of the year, it's the last chance we really get to look at the great winter constellations of Orion, Taurus, Gemini and the two dogs, Canis Major and Canis Minor. They're slowly sinking now towards the western horizon and they'll be gone by about 10 o'clock next month. And they are still quite dominant. I was out the other night looking at the sky. It was a beautiful evening on Saturday night, actually. And um, the winter constellations really do dominate the sky. I've said before just how very bright they all are. And it's not because they're winter constellations. It's just that they happen to be in our winter sky. I always say spare a thought for the poor people in the southern hemisphere who get the wonderful stars of winter in their summer. So take a last chance to have a look at these wonderful constellations, in particular Orion with his distinctive three stars in a line. And I always regard it as a sign of spring is on the way when you see Orion who has been rising from the east. And then he stands sort of upright uh, January and February and then he starts to fall over towards the western horizon. It really is quite magnificent. And for those who don't know anything about the stars or the constellations, you can't miss these three stars in a line sloping from upper right to lower left. They really are quite distinctive. And you just need to look towards the southwestern horizon at this time of year throughout the month of March and you'll see them there and each night they'll slowly be getting lower and lower and you won't get to see them until we see them again in the early autumn rising in the morning sky heralding the onset of the winter and who knows what that's going to bring us in the Isle of Man this next 12 months. One other thing before we leave the stars of the winter, there's one other thing you can look for, which has been so much in the news, and I'll be talking about it later, is the planet Mars. Some of you may recall I talk about a feature in the sky called the Winter Hexagon, where you go to the very bright star at the the bottom of our hexagon, very near the horizon, the bright star Sirius, which shines really bright, and it's so bright it twinkles like mad because it's close to the horizon. And if you trace the winter hexagon up uh, you come to a star capella which used to be overhead in the winter months but is now dropping down towards the west like the rest of orion and his retinue but between the stars of capella and down to the star aldebaran in taurus easily found by following the belt of orion upwards you come to um, the bright star aldebaran and follow that line a bit further on, you come to this wonderful little group of stars called the Pleiades. Great for a pair of binoculars. Fantastic to see, and they really are quite distinctive. And when we see them in the autumn months, of course, they herald the onset of winter. But I want you to look just to the right and below of the Pleiades, uh, or up from Aldebaran, whichever way you're looking, and you'll see a distinctive red-coloured star. It's just about to enter the winter hexagon and will do so uh, during the course of this month. But that red star is not a star, of course, it's the planet Mars. And Mars has been so much in the news the last few days. As I say, we'll talk about that after the break. It really is great to see and to understand that it is actually the only planet we know of 
that's only got robotic life on it. So if the stars of winter are setting in the western sky, what's coming up in the eastern sky? Well, this is the time of the year when we get to see my own birth sign, the constellation Leo. The stars of spring are dominated by Leo and another zodiacal constellation called Virgo, Virgo the Virgin. And these two very bright stars, along with another one called Arcturus and the constellation of Buertes, the herdsman, these are the only three really bright stars we see in the southeastern sky at this time of year. Compare that to the 13 or so very bright stars we had in winter, which are now setting in the west, as I mentioned earlier. These three stars, um, not normally linked together in any form of a triangle or asterism, as we'd call it, but they are quite distinctive and they're very easy to find. All you need to do is to find for yourself the plough or more correctly, the constellation of Ursa Major, the Great Bear, which was sitting on the northern horizon in the autumn time, but now in winter and heading towards spring, the plough is standing on its tail. And if you follow the tail of the plough down, or the handle of the saucepan, whichever way you describe the plough to yourselves, if you follow the handle down, you will find it curves down to a star, which we appropriately call Arcturus, because you follow the arc of this line, this curve, down to the star, Arcturus. And Arcturus is one of the brightest stars in our skies and very, very easy to find. Follow that line even further down and you'll come to the star Spica. And Spica is the principal star in the constellation of Virgo the Virgin. And Spica, always denoted as a maiden holding a spike of wheat in her hand. And this heralds the, the harvest. This talks about the harvest because when you first see this star rising very early in the uh, late autumn, early um, December in the morning sky, when Spica appears above the horizon for the first time in the night sky, or morning sky to be precise, it is a time of the harvest. And that's why Spica has got this spike of wheat in her hand. Now, forget the curve which has taken you from Arcturus down to Spiker. Come to the right, about 30 degrees or so, and you'll see a bright star sitting there on its own. But it's not sitting on its own. It's actually the very bright star, Regulus, the principal star in the constellation of Leo the Lion. And Leo the Lion, and I'm not just saying this because it's my own birth sign, Leo the Lion is one of the few constellations that actually looks a little bit like it's what, to meant, what it's meant to represent. It's like a, a reversed question mark, which shows that with the, the dot of the question mark at the bottom is the star Regulus. And then the, 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 the curved bit of the question mark curves uh, from the left to the right and gives us this the head of the lion. And then spreading out from the left from Regulus, you've got the body of the lion with the star Denebola at the tail. Really is quite distinctive and uh, a very sure sign that spring is on the way. Incidentally, for those of you who are born under the star sign of Cancer, um, I haven't forgotten you, but the constellation Gemini, which is one of our winter constellations, which we talked about previously, uh, is one of those that's setting in the west. It's the last of the winter constellations to set in the west. Well, between the stars of Gemini and Leo, we have the very faint constellation, the zodiacal constellation of Cancer the Crab. And Cancer the Crab really is a very faint constellation. You won't see that uh, when there's any moon in the sky. Now, I know we've got a, a full moon uh, in the last few days, so you won't see Cancer. 
but give it a few days and you'll see the very faint stars of Cancer between the double stars of Castor and Pollux in Gemini and the bright star Regulus in the constellation of Leo. The other great thing we get in March is, of course, it's the time of the vernal equinox. And the vernal equinox is so-called because this is the time when we get equal day and equal night. This is because the sun is crossing this line in the sky, which is the equator of the Earth projected out onto our field of stars. And as the sun crosses the celestial equator, it means, of course, we're going to get equal day and equal night. Or more importantly, the sun is heading up towards the solstice, which occurs in June. And that, of course, is Midsummer's Day. So it's a lovely time to realise that, yes, the nights are getting uh, lighter, the mornings are, the sun is coming up earlier and earlier we have the clocks going back at the end of March which is always another great sign it's always the weekend after the vernal equinox incidentally, but there's another great feature about this time of the year of course and this is the time of the year when we may or may not as it were celebrate Easter and this year Easter is in fact in April and I think I probably said this last year but it's never any hardship to say it again Easter is defined by the vernal equinox and if you want to know when Easter is, the next Easter day will always be after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. Easter this year, Easter Sunday, falls this year on the 4th of April. And that's because that is, as I said earlier, that is the first Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. It's interesting to note that we actually consider that we can get Easter, the very earliest you can get Easter is on the 22nd of March. We had an Easter on the 22nd of March in 1818, uh, so I don't think many of us remember that one, and I don't think any of us will be around for the next one, which is the year 2285. However, the latest date of Easter, the latest date we can get, is in 2038, so a few years to go to that one, but it will be a late Easter that year. Incidentally, next year, in 2022, Easter will also be quite late. It's on April the 17th. So it's an interesting time of the year. There may not be a great deal going on in the skies, astronomically speaking, but the equinox is a major thing that we get in the sky. It gives us Easter date. It gives us the dates of Easter. It also commemorates that time when we can start looking forward to those long, hot summer nights, which I'm sure we're all looking forward to. I'll speak to you again after the break. It's a god-awful small affair to the girl with the mousy hair But her mummy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen but the film is a sad thing for For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools If they ask her to focus on singers Fighting in the dance hall
orchard brow That Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow Now the workers have struck for fame Cause Lennon's on sale again See the mice in their million hordes From Ibiza to the Norfolk broads Blue Britannia is out of bounds To my mother, my dog and clowns But the film is a sad thing for Cause I wrote it ten times or more It's about to be writ again As I ask you to focus on Thank you for that song, Judith. How appropriate that we should have a song talking about Mars, because Mars has been so very much in the news this last week. Anybody that knows me will notice that I was quite excited in February about the fact that these spacecraft were going to reach Mars. And it has been an amazing success story for all three nations that did it. Let's just wind the clock back and reconsider what happened last July. In mid-July last year, the United Arab Emirates launched their Hope spacecraft to Mars on a Japanese rocket. Uh, this was followed a few days later by the Chinese launching their spacecraft, Tianwen-1, to Mars on a, a rocket of their own. And then finally, about 10 days later, the Americans launched their Persevere uh, lander to Mars on their own rocket again uh, from Cape Kennedy. And it's taken seven months, but all three of them were all scheduled to reach Mars in February. And wow, did they do so in spectacular fashion. First to arrive was the HOPE orbiter, the United Arab Emirates HOPE mission, which reached Mars on the 9th of February. This was followed a day later by the Chinese Tianwen-1, which reached Mars and went into orbit on the 10th of February. And whilst the United Arab Emirates now is doing its work and is doing it is uh, succeeding in its mission plan to get into orbit and now will be observing Mars from orbit, um, the Chinese spacecraft is in the process of circularizing its orbit, which it actually achieved uh, literally a couple of days ago. And now they're looking at the surface of Mars with a view to deploying their lander and, of course, the rover they've got on board as well. So this will be quite exciting. At the Towards the end of May, early June, the Chinese aren't committing to exactly when they're going to land yet it depends on the surface conditions it depends on dust storms and all sorts of stuff but the other mission of course perseverance what an amazing uh, feat that has been 
This spacecraft, as I say, launched last July and went straight into Mars. It landed on Mars using a special technique called the Sky Crane. And the Sky Crane was a concept devised by NASA. It was the only means by which they could get a very heavy rover onto the surface of Mars without going through the problems of carrying extra weight for engines and retro rockets and landing uh, platforms and all the rest. So they did this with Curiosity back in 2013. And that was extremely successful. And I think at the time, everyone breathed a sigh of relief because the way it lands is so very complicated. Well, tempting fate, they decided they would use exact same method this time to land Perseverance on the surface. Well, they did. And 100% success. It was absolutely amazing. Along with some, well, probably many other people around the world, I watched it live uh, on the internet. And uh, it was incredible because the spacecraft literally slammed into the Martian atmosphere at a huge, massive speed. It slammed in. It then had to break using the heat shield to slow the spacecraft down until it got to around about twice the speed of sound. It then deployed a parachute, and this parachute, incidentally, the fabric for which was made in Devon, down in England, um, this fabric uh, parachute uh, deployed at supersonic speeds, twice the speed of sound, which is an incredible achievement because they tested this thoroughly time and time again, and every time they tested it initially, the parachute at those sort of speeds just completely shredded. Anyway, they perfected the technique for Curiosity and they did it again now with Perseverance. The parachute slows it right down until they reach a point when they can deploy what they call the Sky Crane. And the Sky Crane is this device. There's no other word for it other than a Sky Crane. The Sky Crane actually fires its motors up. The rover is attached to the underneath of it. It fires the motors up. It slows the spacecraft down. And then just before they get towards the surface, about two kilometers up, they drop the rover on a cable or a number of cables, three of them actually. And these three cables drop the rover down it hits the ground, it doesn't hit the ground, it lands softly on the ground and then the sky crane cables detach and the um, rover is sitting there on the surface all pretty waiting to do its mission. Well, that's exactly what happened, and it happened exactly to plan. Watching it live was most dramatic, and it really was incredible. But what made it even more dramatic was that NASA, a few days later, released videos of the landing. They actually showed you videos of the parachutes deploying, they showed you videos of the heat shield falling away, and most spectacularly, they showed the rover being dropped on the cables just before the uh, sky crane loaded to the surface. They also, for good measure, had another image of the sky crane actually from the rover looking up as the sky crane uh, dropped it on the cables. They didn't do all this for publicity reasons. They did all this because they wanted to see what exactly was happening. If there had been a problem, for instance, with the lander, the sky crane camera showing it on the end of the cables would have clearly shown it and so on. But in the end, it all went well and it all worked spectacularly and all credit to the people involved. It's interesting to note, actually, if you look at the three missions, if you actually look at the videos, which you can find on YouTube very easily, if you look at these missions, um, you can see the different effect the, um, the success has on the different communities. The United Arab Emirates um, were quite happy. You could see that they, they clapped and um, they, they clapped their hands and there was a few cries of uh, well done and all this sort of stuff. The Chinese, of course, just 
all sat there and clapped their hands but the Americans of course hit the roof and rightly so it was an amazing achievement and it was great to be able to share it live and just to finish matters off they actually turned one of the cameras on the uh, rover uh, and managed to get a picture of the dust plume of the uh, sky crane hitting the Martian surface about 2,000 meters away but now we await obviously the actual deployment of the rover and we wait and see if we can indeed find that there was life once upon a time on the red planet. Turning to other matters in space exploration, we're all very excited about the upcoming launch now of Starship SN10. You may recall we spoke about this about the repeated times they've been launching these starships. These are the precursors to the starships that Elon Musk wants to send to Mars, allegedly by 2025. And to be fair, his timetable was that he would have the first test launch of one of his starships in 2020, and they achieved that in December. However, Starship SN8 um, launched successfully and did an awful lot of great things successfully, but the landing unfortunately became one of these RUDs, a rapid unscheduled disassembly explosion for anyone else. They tried again with SN9 at the beginning of February, and this too was successful apart from the landing. So now all eyes and ears are on SN10, and it had a, a test fire up the other day, and it's now scheduled to launch probably in the next week. Worth looking out for that one, because everyone is hoping that this one will nail the landing, as they say. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter, in that it is very much a test program. These things are very much being launched and tested if necessary to destruction because there's so much they need to learn SpaceX famously used to well still do land their Falcon 9 rockets on either the pad at Cape Kennedy or on a barge out at sea and there was all sorts of media coverage about the fact that these weren't working successfully for many many months but now it's 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 matter of fact they managed to land nearly all of their first stage rockets on the barge out at sea in the Atlantic Ocean bring them back refurbish them and I think they've actually flown the same rocket now about 15 times so it just shows how recycling uh, is working in space and this keeps the cost of launches down and it also helps of course um, to keep the idea of um, going into space repeatedly and it, it, the cost of the launch is the main factor of course. The other news that we've got at the moment is that the SpaceX uh, company have announced a private mission, a private mission um, by a chap called J Jared Isaacman, who has paid for the whole capsule to go into space, not going to the space station, but just going up for about um, four to eight days. They haven't decided exactly which. This is the Inspiration4 mission. And um, actually, this millionaire has paid for his chief executive officer to accompany him. He's also paid for a lady who's got a prosthetic limb, and this will be the first time that someone with a disability has gone into space, which is always something that has been mentioned that could be done, because if your legs don't work particularly well, um, in a zero-gravity environment is absolutely perfect for them. And... Um, Finally, I must mention the fact that um, the European Space Agency are applying for astronauts at the moment. Uh, no disability uh, issues there again. Uh, unfortunately, um, I'm too old, so I can't apply, uh, so I won't be applying. But I do wish anyone success who applies for that, and uh, who knows what we might see in the next few years. So until next month, Judith, lots going on as ever. Uh, keep well and keep safe, and I'll speak to you next month. Bye for now. <music>